Fantastic. Well, it's been, been great to be able to celebrate together, hasn't it, the dedication um, of Obadiah um, and to see Dan and Joanna make that commitment to want to raise Obadiah in God's ways and to, to be the best parents that they can be. But, you know, as uh, we saw little Mary up here too, didn't we? Um, and so we know that Obadiah is not only going to be Dan and Joanna's son, but he's going to grow up as Mary's little brother. How many of you uh, grew up with a brother or a sister? Just put your hands up for a moment. Okay, now keep your hands in the air for a second. Uh, how many of you at some point or another fought with your brother or sister? Okay, so that's pretty much unanimous, isn't it? It's pretty much 100% of the people who put their hands up kept their hands up in the air. And that doesn't surprise me. You know, and I, I know I certainly fought with my sister um, growing up. And, you know, it's been lovely. I was talking to Joanna um, the other week, and she was saying how uh, lovely Mary's being and how nurturing she is. And, and I almost have this mothering kind of instinct. And that's fantastic, and it's lovely. But at some point or another, there's probably going to be a bit of a clash of wills. Uh, at some point or another, there's probably going to be some times of, of conflict too, isn't there? Maybe you can remember back to some of the fights that you had with your sibling and um, maybe some of the kind of uh, tricks that you played on one another. Maybe some of them you remember fondly because you think back and think, yes, I got one over on them that time. Uh, And maybe others of them you think a little bit less fondly because they got the better of you. And, uh, but you know, we probably all have those kind of things. And sibling rivalry and conflict and, and kind of, uh, fighting for your own way is pretty common, isn't it? You know, it was unanimous amongst us, um, here. Where it gets to be sad, and maybe some of you have, have been through this, is when something is said or done and it so hits home and it so hurts and it so stays with you, that actually as you grow up, it's still there. Through your adulthood, it's still there. Maybe it even gets passed on to your children and affects the way that they relate to one another too, as cousins. And that's what we see with two brothers in the Bible, with Jacob and Esau. They're, they're twins, and even before they're, they're born, they're in conflict. Genesis 5 verse 22 describes how they struggled with each other in their mother's womb. And this conflict, it goes on through their adult lives. And it gets passed on to their children. And as their families grow, their families become nations. And Jacob's family becomes the nation of Israel, whereas Esau's family becomes the nation of Edom. And still this conflict is there between them. And then you fast forward a little over a thousand years and we come to the lifetime of a man called Obadiah. And as Dan and Joanna already shared earlier, Obadiah means someone who is the servant of the Lord. And in Obadiah's way, the way that he served God, the way that he submitted to God and made God king and committed his life to following him was to serve him as a prophet. As someone who God spoke to and someone who God spoke through. And Obadiah, he writes the shortest book in the Old Testament. Not only was he kind of somebody, a name that didn't come up very often now, but actually it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's just one chapter, 21 verses. And it's a record of what God was wanting to say to the nation of Edom as he tries to address the conflict which has been going on for a thousand years between brothers, between siblings. And in these 21 verses, we discover how the nation of Edom was selfish uh, and was focused on what it could get. 
how they looked down on Israel and, and how they took advantage of the times when Israel was down and out on the times when they were struggling. They took advantage to get all that they could off of Israel to get wealthy themselves. How they took advantage of the people who traveled through their nation and extorted them. And they thought they were powerful and they thought they were wealthy and they thought that no one could bring them down. And a lot of this had to do with geography. A lot of this had to do with the fact that the entrance to their capital city, their entrance to what is now Petra in Jordan, was through this crevice rock that you can see there. That was the only way in and out of the city. If you wanted to get in there, you had to go through. You try and take an army through that. It was the most easily defensible city of the ancient world. And then they built their buildings into the mountain. And built them up high on the mountain as well as at the bottom of it. But at the root of all of this conflict, and at the root of the accusations that God was bringing against the nation of Edom through the prophet Obadiah, was what we read in verses 3 and 4, which says this. It says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride was at the root of everything else. And pride is... It's one of those kind of strange things. It's interesting things. It's something that we don't really talk about an awful lot. And often we don't even really understand fully. We kind of have this vague idea of, of, of what it is. Sometimes it's something that we, we might see as a bit of a character flaw. But often we don't tend to think of it as really that big of a deal. You know, we might struggle with the idea of talking about someone who was a good man and a thief. And something in us would wrestle with that and say, well, how, how is he a good man and a thief? What is it that's causing him to steal? Is it to feed his family or is it out of greed? In what way can this man be described as a good man and a thief? But the idea of someone being described as a good man who is also proud, that sits a lot more easily with us. We, we, that makes a lot more sense. We, that doesn't have that internal kind of conflict attached to us. Pride doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Well, last week, those of you who are here know that we began a new series called Words to Live By. As we look through the book of Proverbs and we look to try to pursue wisdom, to pursue practical wisdom that helps us to skillfully live God's way. And one of the things that comes up again and again through the book of Proverbs is this topic of pride. In fact, as we start this year looking to, to kind of pursue wisdom, this is a really important thing for us to, to, to try and tackle and to get our heads around because what we discover in Proverbs is that the number one characteristic of a person who isn't wise, who lacks wisdom, is pride. In fact, Proverbs it essentially paints the picture that pride is the greatest enemy of wisdom. Pride is the enemy of wisdom because when people, when you, you see people or you respond to situations or you make decisions out of a place of pride, it warps what you see and changes the way that you react and causes this kind of offense or this arrogance or whatever it is to kind of rise up within you. 
And it makes things worse. And so whether it's between a brother and a sister, whether it's between one nation and another, at the root of every conflict is pride. Here's a few things, uh, the things that we read in Proverbs to do with pride. Proverbs 16, verses 18 to 19. says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 29, verse 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Proverbs 15, verse 25 and 33. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. There's a theme here, isn't there? That whoever is proud and exalts themselves and focuses on themselves will be humbled and will be brought low. But whoever humbles themselves and focuses on others will be lifted up and honored. And something in us, something in us naturally gets this. Because when someone is full of themselves, and they're always just talking about themselves, whether that's about how amazing they are and how great I am that I did this and this and this and whatever. Oh, well, you've got that story. I've got a better story and it's this. Or whether they're always talking about themselves because, oh, woe is me. My life is awful. I just always seem to be going through this and this and, oh, it's rubbish. And every and the, whatever it is, if someone is constantly talking about themselves, something in us dislikes it. Something in us almost wants to, to kind of react and you just kind of want to go internally, get over yourself. Whereas when you see someone who is humble and gives attention and encouragement to others, something in us is attracted to it. Something in us responds to it warmly and wants to kind of honor that person. That's our natural response to pride and humility. It's the way that God seems to have wired us. And yet, even though that's our natural response when we see pride in others, it's so easy to be like the people of Edom and to be deceived by the pride of our own heart. We can struggle to see pride in ourselves. Because we all see ourselves through rose-tinted glasses. And this year, if we want to pursue wisdom, if we want to grow in wisdom and the blessings of God that come with it, then we need to recognize and deal with the pride in our own hearts. This is something that I need to do. This is something as much as it's something that you need to do. So to help us as with that, why don't we try to unpack something of what pride is? As I say, I think it's something which is so often misunderstood. You know, when we think of a proud person, we often think of someone who is arrogant um, and someone who looks down on others, and we describe them as being kind of full of themselves. And, and that's true. That would be a proud person. But it's only one way that pride expresses itself. A definition of pride that I think is, is, is helpful is simply this. Pride is an over-concern 
with myself. A proud person is then simply someone who thinks of themselves a lot. And it might be that you think about yourself a lot and that it leads you into being arrogant and thinking how great you are and that you're better than other people and you try and position yourself that way. Or it might be that you think about yourself a lot in the sense that that you kind of approach every situation and every decision in the kind of attitude of what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? Or it might be that it expresses itself in in a way where actually you're always worried about what other people think of you. And, and how it is that you're going to appear and whether people accept you or not and whether or not someone's going to laugh at you if you do that. It, pride expresses itself in lots of different ways, but ultimately it all comes back to an over-concern with myself. To thinking always about me. And that means that a proud person is not only someone who is arrogant and full of themselves where we see it easily, Because actually, pride dwells just as deeply in the hearts of insecure people too. Pride is an over-concern with myself. And it expresses itself in lots of different ways. It's expressed through self-reliance, which says, I don't need anyone's help. I can do this on my own. I can get by just fine, thank you. I'm not going to ask anyone for, for help. It expresses itself through self-centeredness. That always asks the question, does this place match my preferences? Is it what I want? Does it match everything that I like? Am I going to be comfortable there? What can I get out of this? How can I meet my needs and my wants? And it expresses itself through self-condemnation that turns everything around to be about me, how I'm I'm not as good as other people, how no one likes me. I couldn't possibly do that because because I'd make a mess of it and I'd look silly and everyone's going to laugh at me. Someone like that that we would so often describe as humble isn't humble. It's just another way that pride expresses itself as an over-concern with myself. And pride can be so hard to see in ourselves because it's deceitful. It can be there even when we're doing the right things, things which are are good. You know, I can be trying to be the best dad and the best husband that I can be. And that's right and that's important. But what is it that drives me to do that? Is it a desire to, to see my children and my wife blessed and for them to, 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 to be able to have the best in life and to grow up in the best possible way? Or at times, is it so that I can feel good about myself and feel like I'm a good person and like I've got it all sorted? Is it at times so that my kids love me because I want them to love me and if they're not loving me, then that's not okay? Or is it because I want to impress my wife or I don't want to get in trouble with her? Or I want to impress other people and for them to think well of me? And so I can be doing something which is right, something which is important, and yet it can still be driven by my pride and still be driven by an over-concern with myself. Because I want to be made much of Pride expresses itself in so many different ways 
and God <coughs> hates it. He hates pride. He hates pride because it stops us from being able to enjoy life the way that he intended it to be. It stops us from being able to to make the focus of our lives loving God and loving others because we're just consumed with ourselves. It causes us to, to look at others and we either end up looking down on them or rejecting them or we can end up... Uh, using them to, to, to kind of as a stepping stone for ourselves or we can end up pulling back and isolating ourselves from people to protect ourselves from them. In one way or another, pride stops us from loving people. And in one way or another, it stops us from loving God. It stops us from being able to really rely on God and to depend on him. Pride can cause us to feel like we don't really need God, like we've, we, we've, we want to be masters of our own lives and we've got it all in hand. While I was, um, while I was preparing for today, I came across this statement by a man called Stephen Farrar, um, and he wrote this. It should pop up behind me. He said, there is a type of self-confidence and self-esteem that is healthy. It's actually good. But there is an excessive self-confidence that is actually harmful to one's spiritual health. A wrong self-confidence is usually characterized by prayerlessness. That's a massive statement. A wrong type of self-confidence, or in other words, pride, is usually characterized by a lack of prayer. He goes on. We're so busy instituting our plan and following our instincts, using our gifts. We're so confident that it will all work out as we have planned, that we never bother to look up or depend on God. It's not that we're going against God, it's just that we don't have a sense that we really need to depend on Him. We think we can handle things without bothering the Lord. God hates pride. Because one of the things that it can lead us to is self-reliance. We take the gifts and the blessings God has given us, and because of them, we feel like we don't really need the giver anymore. We can rely on ourselves. And when pride is expressed through not self-reliance, but self-condemnation, it can just as easily make it hard for us to, to rely on God. Because we don't feel like we deserve him. We don't feel like we deserve his, his help. And if, if we're condemning ourselves, then surely he's just going to condemn us and reject us too. And so we kind of hold him at arm's length. And we struggle to trust. Pride is something that in one way or another, every single one of us has to deal with. Because there is something in all of us even though it might look different in each of us, that is constantly pulling us back to think about ourselves. Living for ourselves and putting ourselves first. And God hates it. And it is the greatest enemy of wisdom. So this year, if we want to look to grow in wisdom and to skillfully live God's way, how do we deal with pride? What is the antidote to pride? And what Proverbs makes abundantly clear is that the antidote to pride, the opposite to pride, is humility. And that if we don't choose the path of humility, at some point along the path of pride, we will be humiliated. 
will face humiliation. This is what we read in Proverbs earlier. We read, pride comes, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. That pride goes before destruction. That the Lord tears down the house of the proud. That pride brings a person low. And that's a description of humiliation, isn't it? Have you ever had a time where you felt humiliated or embarrassed? Just think back for a moment to a time. It's not pleasant, but just think back to a moment. Maybe you spilt water over your trousers and everybody thought you'd had an accident. You know, maybe you'd had a stain on your shirt or you had something stuck in your teeth or you tripped over and everyone started to laugh. Well, do you know what humiliation is? Do you know what it is that's happening in that moment is this. In that moment when you're humiliated, you're in a place where you think you're up here. You think you've got it all together. You think, well, my clothes were washed. I had a shower this morning. My hair's done. I've managed to prepare for work in that presentation which is coming up. I've got it all together. It's all in hand. All is good. And then something happens or someone says something that brings you from up here to down here. Someone takes a photo of you looking your worst and sticks it on Facebook. Or you go into a meeting that you had that week and you think you had it all planned. You think you nailed it. But you come out of the meeting and your friend says to you, what were you thinking? That was awful. And in seconds you go from here. You thought you were here and now you think you're here. You thought people saw you up here and they should be seeing you up here. But it seems they see you down here. And that's humiliation. And the gap between here and here, that's our pride. I had a moment this week which opened my eyes to this. See, I like to think of myself as a pretty good husband. I like to think of myself up here. But this week, Rosie and I had a bit of a falling out, as we do at different times. We all do. And some things were said that opened my eyes to the fact that I had a lot I still needed to work on. And in a moment, I was brought from up here to down here. And something reacted in me as I was brought from up here to down here. I didn't like it. And the pride that was revealed as that gap between here and here, initially it deceived me. I was deceived by the pride of my own heart to say, that's not right, that's not fair, I'm up here, don't treat me like I'm down here. That pride was in my own heart that caused me to react, to get upset, to get angry, to be offended, to defend myself. That anyone could see me down here. Because do you know what humiliation is? It's that moment when you're brought from up here to down here, and in that moment it's involuntary humility. You've been humbled without choosing it. You get humiliated because someone or something has humbled you. And in that moment, your pride is revealed. There's this moment when you feel so offended. You can't believe that they said that. That they would treat you in that way. How dare they? In that moment that you're offended at what's happened. What's happened is it's revealed your pride. Because you saw yourself up here. And what they've said doesn't match up with being up here. And it pulls you down to here. 
and you feel upset and you feel angry and you feel humiliated. And that gap between the two reveals our pride. And pride has so much to answer for. It's pride that causes us to spend more money than we have because we want to look good or because we feel like we deserve it because I must be able to have that kind of stuff. Even though I can't afford it, I'm going to buy it because I deserve it. It's my right. I should be able to. And at some point, if we keep going on in that pattern of the way that we approach our finances, we'll be brought from up here to down here. We'll face humiliation because they'll reach a point where it's not sustainable anymore. And we'll end up in debt or having to ask for help or some kind of consequences. And the only way to change that pattern of behavior is to choose humility. It's to choose to humble ourselves. Because when you come to a place of humility, you're freed from pride, from trying to appear good or to have what you feel you deserve because you put all of that to one side and you can make a change to live within your means. It's pride that makes it hard for us to apologize and to own our mistakes and to have a tendency to want to make excuses or blame others or defend ourselves. But when we choose the path of humility, it frees us from pride and enables us to change and to admit our shortcomings, to be able to say to people, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And in fact, to be able to say that even when we don't feel we are wrong, because we're less bothered about ourselves than we are for the other person. So if we want to be free from pride, we need to choose the path of humility. We need to choose to humble ourselves. And humbling yourself isn't about thinking that you're rubbish. Each and every one of us is made in the image of God. We have the image of God in us. You are amazing. Now, I like how Tim Keller defines humility. He says that humility is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Not self-reliance or self-centeredness or self-condemnation, just simply self-forgetfulness. Just as pride is an over-concern with myself that's expressed through making everything about me, so humility is the ability to forget myself. It's the ability to face situations and to go through life not worrying about what people think of me or how people see me or how I compare to the people around me. It's the ability to put others first. Humility frees us to really love God and to love others because we're no longer overly concerned with ourselves. And ultimately, this is a a change of heart that that comes as we recognize our need and we invite God to work in us by his spirit. But, you know, there are also habits that we can build into life that help us to grow in humility. And so I want to leave you with a few practical kind of ideas as we finish. So here are four habits of the humble. Number one, the first habit of the humble, never lose your gratitude. You know, we are some of the most prosperous human beings that have ever lived on this planet. We have so much. But we're also some of the most entitled, and we think we should have so much. 
we almost feel that it's our, our, our right to be prosperous. It's our right to have an easy life. It's our right to, to have the latest technology. It's our right to be blessed. But entitled people are never grateful people. And if we want to choose the path of humility, then we need to recognize that every good thing we have is a gift from God. And not only the things that we have, but the brains in our heads, the bodies that we have that enable us to do what we can do, that everything we have comes from him and it's a free gift that we don't deserve. So take time every day to remind yourself of that one simple fact. That all you have comes from God. That you are entirely dependent on him. And then take time to thank him for the blessings in your life, for your family, for the roof over your head, for the food in your cupboards, for the air in your lungs, for the simple fact that you're alive and that he made you. You know, it's hard to stay proud when we realize that we can't take credit for anything that we have. Number two, the second habit of the humble, take the low place. Don't wait for something to happen that brings you from up here to down here. Choose to humble yourself and take that low place. That's what Jesus did. He tells us that he came not to be served, but to serve. That he he came to take the low place. That it wasn't all about him, but actually he came to sacrifice himself for us that he humbled himself by putting us and our needs first. So what can you do to put other people first this week? What can you do to serve the people you work with or the people who are your neighbors or your friends or your family? How can you use all of the good things which aren't yours in the first place? They all come from God. How can you use all of the good things that God has given you to serve them? How can you use your finances, your time, your gifts, your abilities in order to serve others? The third habit of the humble then. Number three, open your notebook. And what I mean by this is choose to take a learning posture toward life. Make your motto maybe this week, every person I meet is superior to me. And I have something I can learn from every one of them. Every person, whether you get along with them, whether you can even respect them, they are all your superior in some way. They know something you don't. They've got experiences you don't have. And there is something that you can learn from them. not saying they're your superior in every way, but in some way. There is something that you can learn from them. Every situation that you face, however good it is or however hard it is, provides an opportunity for you to learn. You know, when someone says something or does something that takes you from up here to down here and you're offended and you're upset and you're angry and your pride is revealed, seize that as an opportunity to learn. Don't fight to stay up here, but humble yourself by, willingly, by choosing to come down here and saying to God, okay, God, well, that's revealed my pride. 
What can I learn? What can you teach me? How can I grow in humility and wisdom? Make everything a learning opportunity so that God has the opportunity not just to work in the good times, but in in the hard times, that he's able to redeem our mistakes. He's able to, to redeem the horrendous things that people can do to us. He's able to redeem the awful things that sometimes we go through through nobody's fault by bringing good out of them. And it takes humility for that. Because pride gets in the way. Pride tells us, I don't deserve this. Pride tells us, I shouldn't be having to go through this. It's not fair. Pride tells us, it's not right that someone mistreats me. Pride stops us from trying new things because we'll fail and look silly. We need humility if we are going to learn. And when we make learning a habit, it forces us to grow in humility. So number four then, the fourth habit of the humble. Be honest with yourself and with God. If we, want to be, if we want to grow in humility, then we need to be honest with ourselves and with God about our pride. To go to God this morning, to go to God through this week and say, I'm proud. My pride might be expressed through thinking a lot of myself, or my pride might be impressed through a self-centeredness of just always looking for what I can get or through an insecurity, but in one way or another, I'm proud. That's the reality for me. It's the reality for all of us. To go to God and be honest with him. God, I'm proud. I'm stubborn. I think of myself all the time. I'm always worried about what people think of me and trying to make sure I look good. God, I'm always looking for for what it is that I can get. If it's not going to be comfortable, if it's not going to please me or make me happy, then I'm not interested. I won't go there or do that or help them. God, I'm proud. Help me to be humble. And as you do that, you are making the choice to pull yourself from up here to down here. You're making the choice to humble yourself before you're humiliated. You're making the choice to not allow pride to deceive your own heart, but to see yourself rightly. And one of the reasons that I think God puts such an emphasis on humility is because if we want to respond to Jesus and to make him king, that's the only way that it can start. We have to humble ourselves. We can't see ourselves up here. We've got to see ourselves down here in order for us to be able to admit our need. In order for us to be able to take ourselves off the throne and make him king. In order to be able to ask him for forgiveness because we see all the mistakes that we've been made. In order for us to stop trying to live our own way and to say, okay God, I'm going to choose to live your way now. We have to humble ourselves and stop making life all about us. And if we're going to all make it about loving God and loving others, it's the starting point of our entire relationship with Jesus. And God's promise is that while he opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. 
that the lowly in spirit gain honor, and that with humility comes wisdom. And humility is the, the, almost the gateway that opens us up and puts ourselves in the position where we posture ourselves in such a way where we're able to receive the blessings and every good thing that God wants to give us. So we began today with a dedication, and Dan and Joanna, if you want to raise Obadiah to be like his namesake, to be a servant of the Lord and a worshiper of God, then it starts with modeling to him and teaching him humility. And for every single one of us, if we want to grow in wisdom, if we want to grow in what God has for us, if we want to know more of the God's blessings and his grace and his strength in our lives, then we need to choose the path of humility. And this is hard. But if we don't, we'll end up like the people of Edom and our pride will deceive our own hearts. So I want to just take a few moments as we finish and I know this isn't kind of a a happy, joyous ending where we're all kind of clapping and going, yay, this is great. But it is significant and it is important. And it is the starting point. It's the gateway into seeing the blessings of God. And so I want to just take a few moments as as we finish to ask God to come and speak to us and to reveal our pride to us. To be honest with him about it. To say sorry. To repent to choose to make a change from putting ourselves first and instead to choose the path of humility, to choose the freedom of self-forgetfulness. So why don't I just have a few moments quiet between you and God. No one else is going to get involved. And then I'm going to pray from it. This is a moment where we're saying, Jesus, we want to choose humility. And so I ask that you would come now and you would pour out your spirit on every single one of us that as we choose humility, that we would know afresh your forgiveness. We would know afresh that you don't hold it against us, you don't condemn us, you don't beat us up, that that you wash us clean and give us a fresh start. That as we choose humility, Jesus, I pray that you would come and move by your spirit and that you would give us grace and you would help us to, to change within our hearts. God, we can't make it happen, so we just pray that you would grow within us that spirit of humility, that you would help us to grow in self-forgetfulness, not constantly thinking about ourselves and what we can get and looking around and trying to buy things and get things and make people like us and think, well, you just help us to, to forget about ourselves so that we can be caught up in the wonder of who you are, so that we can grow in loving you and loving others. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to build into our lives habits of the humble. Practical things that pull our pride up short. Make sure that it can't deceive us for a long time, but it gets revealed. And when it's revealed that we're we're in a position where we've got the humility to learn and to deal with it and to grow. Help us to build into our lives habits of the humble so that we can... So that we can make, we begin to, to grow in how we, how, we, how we posture ourselves before you. That we would begin every day 
recognizing that everything that we have is because of you and your goodness and your love for us. Everything we have is a gift that we can't take credit for any of it. We can't rely on ourselves for a moment. That it's all about you. Growing us a thankfulness and growing us that humility to see you for who you are and to see ourselves rightly too. God, I pray that you will grow us in this as a church that as a church, Lord, that you would guard us and protect us collectively from having a collective identity or a collective sense of pride. That we would know that every blessing we have as a church together is simply because of your goodness. And it's not about us. We're nothing special. It's all about you. God, help us to be people who are humble. That we would grow in wisdom that we would grow in our love for you, our love for others, that our lives would be focused on making much of you rather than much of ourselves. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Fantastic.